What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress. So, Father, we continue to uh, just humble ourselves before you. And yes, God, we do pray for your fire, your fire to burn away but doesn't belong in our lives. That you would just light a fire in us, God. That you would fan the flame. And so, God, I just humble myself now before you and just acknowledge apart from you, I can do absolutely nothing. God, as I, as I share my story and, and really the history of, uh, of Bow Down, I pray, Jesus, that you would encourage the hearts of your people to take that next step of faith that you're calling them into. You, God, you take broken, unqualified, deplorables, people that have nothing to offer, and you make beautiful things. You make beautiful things. And so I just come against the assignments of the enemy today that every lie people are believing, that there would just be freedom, God, that your truth would begin to reign. As as we tell of your story, God, I just pray for faith to be imparted in Jesus' name. And the faith, God, the faith, as small as a mustard seed, that we just place it before your feet, Jesus, and say, yes, Lord, I believe, but, but help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. And so, God, equip your saints for the work of ministry today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so last week we talked about membership, and I went over eight different biblical analogies for the church because the question is, what is the church? What is the church? And so we gave a number of things. We landed on part of our church at Bow Down, we are an army. Uh, One of the reasons why this church was planted was to raise up an army, all right? That's what we came to do. Uh, That was the burden. That was the passion. We wanted to raise up an army. So our church has that kind of uh, army DNA to it. Uh, I also asked you a number of questions around army stuff, right? And so uh, let's look at Joel 2, 2, 5. It says this, it says, as with the rumbling of chariots, and by the way, this is a vision of an end-time army. This army is not yet, it's going to be. It's going to be in Revelation nineteen eleven on down, if you want to read that at your own time, but this is the army that's going to come back, and it's, it's, it's going to do some stuff. But what I, what I want to just submit to you is that we are this army right now. This is what God is going to do, but this is also what he's doing. And so Joel 2, 5, as with the rumblings of chariots, they leap on the tops of mountains like crackling of a flame of devouring the stubble, a fire devouring the stubble, like a powerful army drawn up for battle. And we talked about last week, um, are you ready to enlist in the army, right? Are you ready to become a member? Are you ready to train? 
Are you part of a fighting unit? Uh, what is your specialty? What is your gift? How are you using your gift? Are you under authority? Are you ready and waiting to fight? And most people, they just come every Sunday. But that's not what we want to do here. We want to raise up people that will spend their lives for the kingdom of God, tearing down the gates of hell because they will not prevail against God's army and God's people as we're united and focused on mission. So, verse 6, Before then people are in anguish, all faces grow pale like warriors, they charge like soldiers, they scale the wall. They march each on his way. They do not swerve from their paths. They do not jostle one another. Each marches on his path. They burst through the weapons, and they're not halted. There's two things uh, in verse 7 and 8 that I want to highlight for you. Uh, Number one, you see twice they do not swerve from their paths in verse 7. And then in verse 8, it says, marches in his path. And so understand, people had a path. They had a position. They had a, a direction that they were marching in, and they didn't swerve from that. I want to submit to you, disciple of Jesus Christ, Jesus says this, those Um, whose hands are on the plow, they continue to look back. They're not fit for the kingdom. And so when you are a kingdom person, when you are a kingdom soldier, when you are in the Lord's army, your hand needs to be on the plow, and you need to plow straight, and you need to go forward. That's what we're called to do. This is what we see here. That's a good army where everybody is marching in line. Also, verse 8, they do not jostle one another. They don't jostle one another, uh, basically pushing one another, right? Uh, uh, getting off of what they, they've learned how to operate and play nice together. They've learned how to love one another as I've loved you. Uh, they're not taking their ball and going home. They're actually getting along. Unfortunately, a lot of the times in the church of Jesus Christ, we're too busy jostling one another for position, for power. Remember what Jesus said, the first will be what? So our goal is, man, how can I be last? How can I be last? You don't jostle for position in the kingdom of God. It's not what soldiers do. Those that are in their path, the commander sees them in their path, plowing straight and says, hey, come here. That's how the kingdom works. The kingdom doesn't work like the world where we climb the ladder and we push people out of the way. In the kingdom, you get called up. You don't push your way to the front. Whoever wants to be great, become a servant. That's what Jesus said. It's who we are in the Lord's army. So God is raising up an army. Verse 9, this army, they leap Upon the city, they run upon the walls, they climb on the houses, they enter through the windows like a thief, the earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon are dark, and the stars withdraws, they're shining. Verse 11, the Lord utters his voice before his army. It's important. God speaks, and his army moves. 
We don't want to get out ahead of our commanding officer. Remember last week, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, it says that a good soldier, his aim is to please his commanding officer. And so we want to wait for God to utter his voice, then move. His camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful. Understand our power as an army comes from having a heart that desires to execute the word of God. That's where the power lies. When we say, okay, God, I want to submit to your word. I want to obey your word. I want to follow your word. Understand, in, in, in the book of Luke, Jesus, he's, Holy Spirit comes upon him, led into the wilderness, fast for 40 days. These temptations came. How did Jesus respond? It is written, it is written, it is written. Now, when he comes back out, and you can read Luke 4 in your own time, it says, he comes out of the wilderness in what? Power. When you begin to, and I begin to, obey the word, there comes greater power upon us because we're executing the word of God. When there is no appetite or desire to obey the word of God, there's a lack of power. At least that's what it's kind of saying here, right? For the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? There's going to be a time that comes when God comes back, Revelation 19, 11 on down, where those enemies will be crushed and they will not be able to endure. But guys, God wants to raise up an army now, an end time army now, because we are on a rescue mission. This is what we came to do here at Bow Down. As for, for me, as I began to, to serve, and, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story because um, it's important to know um, as we go through membership here, which is what we're doing, we're, we're talking about how can you become a member. Uh, it's an important to know the history of the organization you're, you're going to be a part of. Um, we are not uh, perfect here. Uh, if it looks like you, we don't know what we're doing, hey, you're right. We're just trying to follow Jesus, okay? Um, but God is, is, is raising up an army. Uh, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 10, and, and this is a foundational passage for me personally, uh, and also for our church as it continues to be a passage that, is, um, that, that God has placed upon our, our heart um, Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, uh, verse 30. And and what I want to do is um, a lot of the history of Bow Down is tied into my personal story. And what I don't want to happen is for you to look at me any sort of way, okay? Listen, I just started reading the Bible in my room back in 1998, and I read this passage uh, March 1998, I was on drugs, I was, my life was jacked up, um, I was just kind of suicidal uh, to the place where I was saying, you know what, I'm going to start selling drugs full time. I, I was just completely gone. Jesus, I surrendered my life March 4th, 1998. 
in October, September, October of that same year, I'm in my room reading my Bible as a young single guy. And God began to do things. And this is the passage I read. Let's read it. Luke 10, 30. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. I want you to highlight half dead. We'll get back to that in a minute. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite. So I want you to highlight the priest and the Levite. Those are two religious people. When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by the other side. So both of those people passed by the other side. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound him in his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And so this is the passage. And so the question is, right, who is my neighbor? And as I'm sitting in my room, reading my Bible, I'm praying, okay, God, who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Very simple question. Nothing happened. God didn't answer me. There was no voice from heaven, right? There was no bush in my room that was on fire. Um, I just left that before the Lord. God, who is my neighbor? I want to go and do likewise. You see that there in the next verse? Jesus is like, go and do likewise. Like, like, go and do likewise. Not an option, a command, go and do likewise. Okay, God, who is my neighbor? I better take this story seriously. Who is my neighbor? And I began to ask that to God and just left it there. I went to a concert um, probably about two weeks later, a month later. And at this concert, and I was, again, I went there by myself, and it was a worship concert, and I went to worship Jesus. And, and all of a sudden, I, I see this big, tall, uh, white guy on stage with, with, with gray hair who's actually here today. So, Bill, I'm actually going gonna, gonna to have you stand up real quick, Bill. So go ahead and stand up. Sorry to do that to you, Bill. Yeah. So it's Bill Hobbs. He is the founder of Urban Youth Impact. And I didn't know what Urban Youth Impact was, but I saw this guy up on stage with all these little inner city kids. And I said, hey, man, I I coach basketball. I could probably help this guy out. So at the concert, I went to the booth, and I got a little um, flyer, a pamphlet, and I I took it home, and I began to pray. And so I called Bill one day. I said, hey, uh, my name's Chris. I want to volunteer, and and, and I want to come help you out. And he met with me, and he he sat down, and he said this to me. He's like, if you're going to volunteer, you need to be a person of commitment. You need to come once a week, every Thursday, and I need you to commit for a year. These kids have people in and out of their lives, and we don't do that here. We represent Christ, and when we say we're going to show up, we show up. Commit for a year. You know what I did? I left. (laughs) You know why I left? Because, again, my life back in 1998, I quit everything. I never completed anything. I never finished. 
I was a person that was unfaithful and couldn't be counted on. I don't know if I can get any witnesses here today. Right? And see, let me tell you, that is the trick of the enemy, to get you to focus on you and your faults and not on Christ, who is king, who will do exceedingly, abundantly more than you can even ask or imagine by the power that is within us. And the enemy gets to begin to speak in your ear saying, you are not ready. You can't do this. You won't finish. You won't. Some of you are going to do 516, but the enemy's like, you won't do it. You won't finish. You're not good enough. They won't accept you. All of that stuff is not of God. And here's what mature people do. Philippians chapter 3, it says, let the mature think like this. Forget about my past. And I press on. I press forward to the upward call in Christ. Upward. Yeah, up and out of you, baby. And on Christ. Mature think like that. Immature. It's all what I don't have. Or it's all what I bring to the table. It's a, two kinds of people. Some people think they're way better than they are. Yeah, like, yeah I don't think I'm good enough. And guess what? Both are true. Because it's not about you. It's not about me. And so I left that day without making a commitment, without Bill couldn't sign me to the contract. I was volunteer, there's no contract. <laughs> and I went home and I prayed and I prayed and I said, God, I can't do this. I can't commit to one night a week for a year. There's no way. A year, that's a long time. And here I am uh, 20, I don't know how many years later, and this is my calling. This is what God called me to, and I never knew that. The very thing some of you are afraid to do might be the very calling that God has for you. And again, it's you coming to the end of yourself. It was me saying, okay, God, I can't. I've never committed, but you know what? I'm going to trust you that you're going to help me make it a year. I'm going to trust you, Jesus. So as I began to serve, again, March 4th, 1998, October 98, I start volunteering. I start serving. Some of you have been sitting in the church for years, and you've never served anywhere. Listen, that doesn't happen here at Bow Down. Everybody serves. Now, you may be in a season where you got little ones hanging off your legs. Moms, we'll give you some freedom. And there may be seasons where you're hurting as well. There's grace. But listen, the church is a hospital for the sick, but it just doesn't stay there. It's a hospital for the sick, but the sick get better when they go back out to get shot at again. We're an army hospital, okay? We ain't good Sam, although good Sam. Anyway, so thank you, Lord. Verse 30, let's go through this, and I want you to keep your place here uh, for the remainder of the time. Because this is going to be our main text. I just want to break some stuff down to you that God's put upon my heart. 
Verse 30, Jesus replied, a man was going down, Luke 10, to Jerusalem, to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. As I began to serve in an inner city context at Urban Youth Impact, God began to open my eyes. And you see that phrase, half dead? There was a lot of things that were half dead. You know, when I moved into the inner city community, there were 46 registered sexual predators within one mile from my house. The boys were more likely to go to jail than graduate high school. One out of three girls sexually molested before the age of 18. One out of six boys before the age of of 18. Over 90% of the kids that we work with had no father in their life. There was brokenness. There was all of these things. It was like this community that we were serving in. There was such wounded and such hurting and such pain. And as I began to serve, as I began to enter in, God began to break my heart more and more. And I'll never forget the time where Bill shared the gospel, and a lot of people don't, don't uh, understand this. When I started serving for a year, I never spoke at outreach for a year. Never wanted to, okay? The second year, I still never spoke until Bill said, I want you to share your testimony. And I literally spent 40 hours that week crafting my testimony because I'd never spoken before. <laughs> I was so scared didn't come to speak. I came to serve. So where you are now might not be where you're going to be in five years. You don't know the gifts that are in you. And some people want to speak. Hey, you don't need to be speaking. Anyway. (laughs) Sometimes there's a breaking, right? Jacob, he walked with a what? A limp. Some of y'all need to get a limp first. But I'll leave that up to God. We don't have that in our army training, by the way. So, so this brokenness began to happen, and Bill led a kid to Christ at our outreach through a gospel presentation, and I took him home, and I, I went into his home to meet mom or dad. No dad was around. Um, there was probably about 10 to 12 kids. The youngest one was two years old, wearing diapers, walking around the house. There was no furniture Where's mom? We don't know. Come to find out, they hadn't seen mom in a few days. Mom has since died of HIV, and mom was a crack prostitute. And I walked out of that house, and I started to cry. And at that time in my life, I was being offered a job in management, and I was also feeling a pull to serve in the inner city and move into the inner city to live there as a young single guy. And it was there while I was in the swale of the driveway that the Lord just spoke in a quiet, still voice, Chris, are you willing to die for the kids in this community? And right then, I made that decision, forget the world. I'm done with it. I'm going to die for these kids in this community. 
and I received my calling years into by obeying my leadership, not leading someone to Christ, just taking a kid home. And all of a sudden, God began to break my heart for the kids. And this, like, it is a process. Again, where did it start? It started with me saying, here I am. Here I am. It started with a a once-a-week commitment because I saw a community that was half dead and there was brokenness. Verse 31. Now by chance a priest was going down to the road when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place, he saw him and passed by the other side. You see... Both of these religious people, and listen, church, all you religious folk, this is your passage. No, actually, it's not. (laughs) We see, but we don't see. We hear, but we don't hear. The Levite, the priest, they're the ones with the law. They should know better. They are the church, right? But they walk around the other side. They have the answer. They have what he needs, but they don't engage. They walk around the other side. I want you to jot this down, Isaiah 6. Verse 9, God sends Isaiah, and he gives a message to Isaiah, and he says, go and say to this people, they keep on hearing, but they don't understand. They keep on seeing, but they do not perceive. God gave a message to the prophet Isaiah to tell people, listen, you think you're seeing. You think you're seeing, but you really don't see. You really don't perceive. See, these guys saw that guy, but they really didn't get it. And when I look at kind of where the inner city communities are in our nation, I feel like we've seen, but we haven't really seen. Now, there's no judgment, there's no condemnation, but we've got to ask ourselves, okay, God, am I really seeing the needs of those that are around me? I spoke at a a church one time, and I was speaking on Acts 1-8, which says this, Jesus says, wait for the Holy Spirit, and you'll be my witnesses, and you'll go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the ends of the earth, and I basically submitted to the congregation in America, right, Judea and Jerusalem, like those are, those are our kinfolk, those are our cousins, and then those are the people that speak the same language and look like us, and we're good talking to those kind of people, but Samaritans, they're the half-breeds, they're different than us. They're, they're, they're the people that if their shadow falls on us, we would have to say, unclean, unclean, unclean. We were discriminated. That's why, that's why the Good Samaritan lady, she's, she's talking to Jesus at the well, and she says, hey, why are you a Jew talking to me? Right? Because those two groups, they just, they didn't talk to one another. And then in Acts 1.8, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, then the ends of the earth. In America, we've skipped over Samaria. And we've gone to the ends of the earth. There's nothing wrong with going to the ends of the earth, but what about Samaria? And so we want to ask God, God, please, 
please help us to really, really see. Help us not to be people that walk around. And as we began to see, God began to move. Look at verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. I want you to highlight Saul, and I want you to highlight compassion. Revelation 3, and I want you just to jot this down. You can look at it at your own time. But it says, you need to buy from me salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Do you know that you can't see apart from the Holy Spirit? You're, you're going to be like the Levite and the priest unless the Holy Spirit gives you eyes to truly see. And when you truly see, apart from the Holy Spirit, you will not have compassion. Now, this word compassion that I had you highlight is a word that it comes, it's like a deep brokenness. It's like this inner thing within you that you have to do something. When you look at Jesus and it says when he's filled with compassion, with read the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you see that word compassion and Jesus was filled with compassion, Jesus always did something. So true biblical compassion, according to Jesus, means that there is such a brokenness that you actually do something. If you don't do something, if your compassion doesn't lead to action, then it's not true biblical compassion the way Jesus was broken with compassion. It's just, oh, I feel bad. That's not compassion. Oh, I feel so sorry for that person. That's not compassion. Oh, I feel a certain type of way, and I'm willing to die for that. Okay, now you have compassion. Now you have biblical compassion. And listen, here's the deal. Church, apart from the Holy Spirit moving on our rebellious and corrupt hearts, giving us hearts like his that break for the things that break his hearts, we are not going to see properly, and we're not going to move properly so that we lay our lives down for someone. We're dependent upon God in this whole thing. As I continued to serve under Bill Hobbs' leadership, Bill Hobbs was mentoring me and meeting with me on a weekly basis. And you know, we've been doing that for over 20 years now. Every week, we meet, we talk, we pray, we share our struggles, our trials. There's been tears. There's been joy. We've experienced the presence of God in our prayer meetings the tangible presence of God. He's poured into my life. And Bill believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. Because I started volunteering and just coming to serve. And then I became a full-time volunteer as a single guy moving into the community and saying, hey, I'm just going to wait tables to make enough to live on, and I'm going to give 40 hours a week as a volunteer here. And as I continue to serve at Urban Youth Impact as a full, somebody might be coming a full-time volunteer at Urban Youth Impact this, amen, hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> we, will, we will have you, anyway, so, so, so as I 
continued to do that, needs arose within the ministry. Hey, Chris, we want you to drive the van. Drive the van? I'm like 30 years old. I ain't driving the van. God, is this what you want me to do? Okay, I'll do it. Uh, Chris, we need you to serve as after-school program director. Wait a minute. I, I don't even know how to speak properly, but you know what? I'll go ahead and serve. Thank you for laughing, honey. <laughs> Outreach, volunteers, and finally Bill says, hey, Chris, I want you to be director of ministry. I'm like, oh, man. He's like, and here's what you're going to need to do. You're going to have to raise your own salary. I'm like, oh, great. That's a great great job offer, Bill. Thank you very much. And so I had to raise my own salary, director of ministry. After doing that for a time, see, here's what happened. As God began to break, we saw a need. We saw a need for a church plant. We saw a need because we need an army to minister to the kids in this community. We need an army, God, that is going to have this passion that's going to move in such a way that's going to tear down the gates of hell that, that are going to spin themselves for the kingdom of God and lay themselves out for the kids in this community. And that's what we began to do. And I remember Bill saying, hey, I want you to plant the church, Chris. And I said, Bill... I've, I've never been to seminary. Like, I'm just the guy that drives the van. I, 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 I can't do this. I'm not qualified. I don't have schooling. I don't have this, and I don't have this, and I don't have... Who can relate to that? All of us can. And here's what I want to... Here's your counseling session. You ready? Stop it. And so I remember going on a 14-day on a water fast because I didn't think I had a shepherd's heart disqualifying myself. We are good at that, aren't we? Right? So was Moses, but I st 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 stutter. At the end of the fast, my prayer was, God, I don't feel like I have a shepherd's heart. I admit, and I forget this. We're at our old building across the street, and this guy leaves. He goes to his car. He comes back, and he says, Chris, I have a word for you. And I'll never forget, standing in the hallway, he's like, I feel like God wants me to tell you, Chris, that you have a shepherd's heart. And I just started to cry. And then I got angry with God. God, you could have done that on day one. Why day 14? <laughs> All right? God always does that. He waits for the Egyptians to come breathing down your neck before he parts the Red Sea. He always shows up. He's faithful. And so we began to move forward with this new kind of church that we had a vision for called Bow Down. And one of the things, because I don't know if you could tell, but Bill's a white guy, um, we didn't want to come into an African-American community and plant a church, right? Like paternalism, colonialism. Hey, we've been called all of that. But what I want you to know is that Bill and myself sat down with a local pastor and said, hey, we have this idea for, it's called Bow Down, to plant a church to reach the kids in our community, and can we do it under your authority, and the pastor looked at both of us and said, hey, 
It's taken me seven years to get my congregation to go from three offerings down to one offering. And you got a plan not to take an offering? That ain't going to go, bro. He didn't say it like that. But he also said, you can't put new wine into old wineskins because they'll bust. God has given you some new wine and a new vision of what God's called you to do. So you have my blessing, Bill and Chris. Go do it yourself. Why do I share that story? Well, number one, there's a lot of haters, but that's really, there's always going to be haters. Jesus had them. But number two, here's the thing. Some of you are like the Lone Ranger. You don't understand God operates out of authority. And just because you have a vision doesn't mean you go do it. Go read Moses' story again. God gave Moses very clear directions to go to Egypt. But what did Moses do before he went? He went back and he got permission from Jethro. Come on, church. How many anointed prophets got a word from God and we got to go, but there's no authority that's sending. There's no authority that's laying hands. And let me just tell you, God operates out of authority. And so we submitted to authority. This church wasn't started out of rebellion. And this church wasn't started out of division, but this church was started from a place of humility. And that is important because if your foundation's wrong, the building's going to be jacked up. I wasn't in my notes. That was some, for somebody. Go check with Jethro, baby. <laughs> Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He saw differently. He saw differently. He saw differently. Do we see differently? I'm going to play a video for you right now um, of a young man. I Don't be trying to... My, hey, what? Hey, ah. Mike, he, he just had to go to the restroom. <laughs> no, nah, he's afraid he's going to cry. That's why. But we're going to play this video because, see, sometimes we look at one another and we don't see properly because we're not seeing with the eyes of Jesus and there's no compassion. And so, so it's very important that we see. So God, open our eyes. Go ahead, Will, play this video for us, please. At about 10 years old, my mom, she was going from church to church, and she got into this one church, and um, she was, you know, my dad made good money. We paid his tithes. We was trying to do everything the right way. And pastors come to our house and had Thanksgiving with us. Well, one day my mom took us to the park with the pastor my dad was working. Now, I don't know what happened behind closed doors with him, but this was the first time I recognized as a child something was wrong. My mom said to us, how would you like for this to be your father? Me and my older brother, we kind of stared at each other like, uh-uh. So later on, you know, being kids, you love your father. We told him. And then that's when everything really began to take off. They finally divorced. He lost his business. IRS came behind him. Um, and that's when everything went to the left. 
My little brother hit the streets, wound up getting um, charged with first-degree murder, armed robbery. And he's currently now doing 15 years plus life. My brother under that, he died. He Actually, how he died is that my sister was driving the car that killed him. I hit the streets. All the guys that my dad tried to keep me away from, by him having to work and be gone all the time, and I'm a young guy with no supervision. I learned about drugs and prostitution and killing, murder. I learned about a lot of stuff. By this time I'm in high school, um, I'm working a job, I'm, I'm gambling, I'm, I'm selling drugs, you know, I'm womanizing. I, I pretty much probably could, did every bad thing that you can do. And I started getting... Um, Marijuana fronted to me, meaning I don't have to have any money. Pounds at a time, and I began to sell as much as I could. They had been trying to bust me for a long time. I, kept, I was very creative. I had stuff buried under the ground. I had stuff, I had cut slots in the floor to hide stuff and put furniture over it so they could never get me. So one night they did. They, they wind up... Um, coming in and when they came in we went down to the police station I'm wondering what's going on because I know they didn't get me with any marijuana um, and they told me that they were going to charge me with sexual battery and I say well how they say well a young lady that just left here and immediately I knew what happened she had just came and bought a quarter pound of weed from me and they caught her and this was their way to get me I was like please don't charge me with that Sexual battery without physical force. I never touched a young lady. I said, she bought weed from me. I know you guys find weed, but every, the cops, everybody denied everything. And they kept telling me, man, that, you know, we're going to win this case. I was thinking, you know, I, I'm going to get 15 years. After being incarcerated in jail for over a year, I decided to plea. And I chose to be labeled as a sex offender and do two years in prison for something that I didn't do. Out of everything that happened, I wound up getting out. I got a, 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 no one wanted to give me a job. I counted, I counted the doors that were slammed in my face. I stopped counting after 80. I prayed so hard during this time in my life, asking God, please, Lord. And he finally opened the door. I got hired on at Walmart. I got another job at McDonald's. God just kept opening doors. I went from that to being a helper on a truck delivering restaurant equipment. I learned how to run uh, CNC machines. And next thing you know, I was a CNC programmer. Well, um, while I was in Lake Worth before I got this job in Revere, I met a very wonderful woman. She was my girlfriend. She was like, I'm here with you. And she moved with me with my, to my dad's. My dad was about to lose his house because of taxes, and we moved there to help him. And then he put us out after he got everything caught up. And I told her one day, I was like, you shouldn't have to suffer because of my decision. Go home to your parents. But she wouldn't leave me. She told me that if I leave you now, I will leave you when you have something. If I leave you at your lowest, you know I'll leave you at your best. And she, we put our clothes in baskets, and she slept in the car with me and stayed with me. 
she never left me. And when I seen that, I say I got to make this one my wife. And we got married. And now, and we've been married for 18 years. We have four beautiful children. And I would not trade her for the world. Because of what has happened to me in my life. With my mom running off with a passive family, being destroyed, having to suffer, being falsely accused, everything. I despise church. I despise people that say that they're Christians and call themselves living life right. I always look for that one that's saying, oh, you're doing it and you're not. And with the woman that God put in my life, he drew me back. I can remember when she would say, did you like that church? And I'd tell her, nah, they want money. I could tell they had three offerings, you know. <laughs> or I would say, look at what the pastor's driving, you know what I mean? I would always come up with something to say. But one day she, she brought me here to bow down, and she said, when I got home, she said to me that same question, so what about that church? Will you go back? And I know it probably shocked her. I, took, I shook my head, and I said, yeah, yeah, I'll go back, babe. And I've been coming back since. I was the worst of the worst. I, I was just like Paul would say, I was the chief center of them all. And for him to bless me with a beautiful wife, beautiful children, home, wonderful people to be around. He turned my night today. He turned it to where it's shining. And I, I, will, I will stand up anywhere in the world and tell people that if you don't got God, you don't have nothing. Mike, we are. Mike, go ahead and lift your hand so we can. And Carly, she's, she's behind him. Go ahead and lift your hand too, Carly. Please. Higher, please. I'm just so proud of the both of you. Um, just what a, a shining um, example uh, to, to all of us. And, um, and I remember the first time Mike came in telling me that story, I'm like, man, I can't believe this guy's actually in a church. And see, this is why we need the eyes of Jesus, because we all have stories. And Jesus helps us to see past things on the outside and to see what's on the inside. And there's this, this brokenness, there's this compassion that... that causes us like this person in the story to say hey let me bind up your wounds look at that in verse 34 let me pour on oil and wine uh, let me give you my own animal so that I can walk right let, let, let me help you let me serve you in 35 uh, finances and here, I, I'm, I'm giving this to the innkeeper, and I'm saying, take care of him, and whatever more that I spend, I'm going to repay. Whatever more you spend, I'll pay when I come back. He had a, 
a perspective where he wasn't going to give up on this guy. He dropped him off at the end, but he says, I'm going to return. I'm going to return. I'm going to return. And true love, it commits until the person gets well. Carly, we honor you. It's many years till Mike got well. Right? And there's that commitment. There's that compassion. There's that truly, truly seeing. And at the end of this passage, Jesus says, go and do likewise. It's not an option, but it's a command. In context here, the lawyer's asking Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus gives this story as the answer. And he says, go and do likewise. Now, we do not believe that you are saved by your works. The Bible is very, very clear. It is for grace through faith in Jesus. That's why we're saved. It's not by our works lest anyone should boast about it. It's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Like Jesus did it all on the cross. He paid for my sin He stood in the place and he took the wrath of God on himself so that I get to go free. And he was buried. He rose again after three days. And so when we put our faith in that and and we say, Jesus, come into my heart. I want to surrender. I want you to be my God and Savior. I want to follow you, Jesus. I'm surrendering my life to you. The Bible says when that happens, we become born again. The Holy Spirit comes inside of us and we become born again. Now, if you're truly born again, though, you will go and do likewise. There will be fruit on your tree because you are saved. You're not saved from your works, but you know you're saved because we see the works. We see the works that's, that, that's happening on your, on your tree. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is talking about sheep and the goats at the end of the age. And one of the descriptors for the sheep is that they saw, they helped, they served. But the goats, they responded back to Jesus and said, well, when did we see you sick? When did we see you hungry? When did we see you naked? When did we see you in prison? See, The goats, they didn't see anything. And because they didn't see, there was no compassion that led to action. But true sheep, they see, and compassion breaks, and it leads them to serve and to lay their lives down. Church, church, bow down. Listen, we are here to raise up an army and to gather our resources together to spend it to spend it, not on ourselves, but to spend it, reaching out to those who are in need around us. We are so passionate about this that in the beginning of our church, our first hire, and by the way, I went through church plant training, they're like, Hey, the first thing you need to do is you need to get a worship leader with skinny jeans and moose, or else people won't come. 
got to be a rock star. And the second hire, you got to have the best children's church ministry. And you spend all your money on those two things. And here's what Bow Down did. We said, we're going to hire Stephen Hamilton as a full-time outreach pastor to reach the kids on Tamron. And we're going to pay him full-time to do that. That is going to be our first hire at this church. Why? Because bow down's an army. Not that worship's not important. Not that children's church's not important. But we don't offer full-time salaries for that. It's all part-time. Our money goes to these streets. And we'll talk more about that next week. And by the way, again, membership. But if you're going to join, you need to know who we are and what we're about. And listen, we're an army. We're an army, and we're looking for soldiers that are going to lay their life down, that are moved because of a brokenness and a compassion that truly sees. Say, here I am, send me, I will go. This is what God is doing here. God's calling you to be part of his army here, and if not here, somewhere else. But hey, you need to be on your post, on your post. So Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for... Just the testimony that we see in Mike's life and Carly's life and their children's life. Father, I pray that um, that you would just pour out your spirit today on everybody that is here. Lord, those that are are just beat down and and don't think that they have anything to offer God, I I just pray, just Mike's testimony would just encourage them, God. He is a mighty man of God now because of what you have done. And God, for me, all I did was read your Bible and just pray. And here I am some 20 years later, Father. So help your people to get their eyes off themselves and to just get them on you. That we would cry out today for eyes to see, for ears to hear. We cry out for your spirit to be poured out so our hearts break with compassion. So that we will lay our lives down for those that are hurting around us. So God, we ask that you would raise up an army. That you would raise up an army, God. We need you, Father. And as we shift our gaze to you and worship and adoration, I pray, God, that people would do business with you. And those that need prayer, that would simply come forward to receive prayer. Be glorified, Jesus. Be touched by our songs, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting us today. Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com.